Hola, I'm Sonia Manzano, and you're listening to the Great Big Beautiful Podcast. Adios. But in children's entertainment, I think we tend to give them, yay, and we tend to give them, aw. And those things are cool, you know, but uh, I've met a lot of kids, and some of them are really angry, and some of them are really sad, and some of them are incredibly inspired, and they're they're very emotionally rich people. And I didn't see any reason not not to sing to that, you know? Here are your hosts, Jamie Green and Justin Connors. You, are you the, an older sibling, Jamie, do you, or do you have, is your sister younger than you, or? You're I have one older okay. sister. So I'm the oldest in my family, and with that honor comes the distinct privilege of having to remember shows that your siblings watched when you might have been a little too old for them. One of those for mm-hmm. me is Blue's Clues. My sister loves Blue's Clues, and... It, and you know we're obviously talking to Steve today from Blue's Clues, but I his voice is like drilled in my head not because I not because I was like a kid and oh you know you know what I mean I wasn't like the kid that watched and adored, but my sister did and I, you were the older brother sitting the, there turn that frustrated <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh my god we gotta watch Blue's Clues again <laughs> but you know something that was that's really cool about that show is. It is very different from other, and we touch on this in the interview, it's different from other kids' shows of the time, because I, I don't know how to explain it, just the interaction he had with the audience, and you know, you know it, what I mean? He was just he was just different, he felt more real, like a friend, than, than anything. It was it was one of the first shows that broke that fourth wall, yeah. like he was talking to the audience, and like, there were shows, obviously like Mr. Rogers mm-hmm. did that, you know, he would talk to you, and and convey the message of the show right. and there were segments of sesame street where they would also do that but you know at that time in like the 90s um kids shows weren't really by and large doing that mm-hmm. and so it was it was very different from a lot of the other shows that were on tv and that he was talking to you sitting on your couch and not only was he talking to you but he would ask you a question and then yeah like listen to you yeah As, listen to you and Nickelodeon took that, you know, and they, oh, they, did they? used that in their other shows. So I don't know. Did I mean, they ever? <laughs> yeah. I mean, you've watched Dora yeah. and you've watched Diego. That's a huge part of Dora yeah. the Explorer is that she asks you questions and she'll wait for your response. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think Blue's Clues really set that formula up for a lot of their other shows that came after. No, exactly. And, and like he said, the kid, or I, I don't want to give away the interview, but he was he was mentioning a time where... He, he showed up somewhere as Steve, and the kids are just like, hey, Steve's here. <laughs> you know, yeah. and that speaks to that, right? Because it's like he's yeah. their best friend, you know? Of course Steve's here. I'm having a Blue's Clues party. Why wouldn't he be? <laughs> you know, it's it's funny because it reminds me of the effect that social media has now. Mm-hmm. You know, social media, if you follow your favorite celebrity on Twitter or Instagram right. or, or Facebook or whatever, you kind of feel like you know that person. Yep. 
you know, more so than ever before. Like, like when we were kids and we would just like watch a movie or show and be like, wow, there's that person that I see on TV. And if you yeah. saw them in real life for whatever reason, it was a huge deal. Right. But now I feel like people feel so close to their favorite celebrities because of Twitter and yeah. Instagram that if they ever meet them in, and I, and I think this gives rise to a lot of the stories you hear about people just being completely inappropriate right. and overly personal with mm -hmm. people that they just don't know at all exactly. because they feel that sense of connection. Right. And where, where that's big, too, is in the YouTube world. I have a vlogger I watched, Casey Neistat, and... Mm -hmm. And I know, and I and I said in one of my videos that when he stopped vlogging, that I know that we don't have a relationship, and I know it's like I know we're not actually friends, and he has no idea who I am. But you spend ten minutes a day watching his life, you really feel like you do. Like I, yeah. I felt like he was a buddy. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Yeah. So when he stopped vlogging, it was like, oh, what am I gonna do? My best friend's like breaking up with me. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's such a weird thing. And I'm not, I'm not like a person that gets big in celebrity culture. It was just that relationship really is a real thing. It's, it's crazy. I yeah. I, I'm sure there's a study somewhere about it. <laughs> I'm sure there is. And I mean, but it's, it's, it, and it is a weird way connected to shows like Blue's Clues right. and Dora, you know, where the, you know, Dora less so because it's a cartoon, mm -hmm. but you know, with, with Blue's, you know, Steve was a real person on screen talking to me or not to talking to the kid, yep. listening and then reacting to whatever the kid said. So they felt this really strong connection to him and in, in a way that, I did when I was watching Mr. Rogers right. when I was a kid, well, you know, like I, I loved Sesame Street yep. and I, I tolerated Mr. Rogers. <laughs> My mom loved Mr. Rogers. I tolerated Mr. Rogers. I didn't hate it, but I felt closer to Mr. Rogers than I did to anybody on Sesame Street. Wow. That's, and that I think was because he was so personal and was talking to me, mm -hmm. you know, personally, like he was addressing me. And I think, and I think everybody would probably agree because just because of the general reaction when you tell people, Hey, we're interviewing Steve Burns from Blue's Clues. Everyone is, you know, they have some type of memory that you know, anyone yeah. that grew up in that era. And even my mom yeah. texted me and she goes, that's so funny. I feel like I really know him. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, strange, crazy. isn't it? Oh yeah. That's I mean, I am way too old for Blue's Clues. Yeah. I'm only a, couple of years younger than Steve. So I, I, I was not the target audience for that show when it was on TV. My kids have watched a little of it because it's on, mm -hmm. I think it's on Amazon streaming. So they know what it is. Um, but it's really funny when I was in college, um, this was the late nineties. Uh, I worked at a Barnes and Noble and back in the children's section, as they do now, they have all these stuffed animals right. of, of popular characters and I remember we got a, um, I mean, now this was late 90s. So this was like the heyday of Blue's Clues. Right. Um, we got in a blue, a little stuffed blue. And I didn't watch the show. I was in college. Mm -hmm. But I just loved the design of that dog so much that I bought one. No I was way. like, yeah, I was like, awesome. what was I? Like a tw 20, early 20s, you know, yep. something college student. And I bought that dumb little dog right. because I, I just <laughs> loved the design of it so much. Not because I was, in the, I, I really, you know, was watching this show. but. Right. Um, I just, you know, and, and I think it was also cool that Blue was a girl, mm. you know, most people don't really realize that unless right. they've watched a lot of the show that Blue was a, was a female dog. Right. Wow. I think, you know, you just blew my mind because I didn't even yeah. know that. I you didn't did, know I that? I really didn't know that. Wow. Yep. It was a girl. And I believe, so there was another dog they introduced, Magenta. That was okay. the Magenta dog, the, yep. the purple dog. Yep. I think they were both, um, girls. Okay. Okay. See, that's how yeah, much. Yeah, Blue, everybody is. 
everybody assumed Blue was a boy because he was Blue. And what, she was what's blue. funny is Blue is the name namesake of the show, but really Steve was the one that, in his years, that he was on it. He was the one that really propelled it, which is crazy. Yeah. And I'm so happy we're talking to him today. And guys, you're in for a treat. <laughs> it's really him. It's really Steve. He's here, <laughs> and we're going to talk about a lot of cool stuff like his new album, time on the show. Here it comes, right at you. Here's Steve Burns. Steve, thank you so much for taking the time to talk today. It's a pleasure to have you here. I'm thrilled to talk to you today. My pleasure, guys. Um, let's start out talking a little bit about For Everywhere. Um, you've probably answered this a number of times, but why make a kid's record? Oh, um, really? I just felt like I had a little bit left in the tank. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, working on Blue's Clues for so long, you know, I developed a point of view and I developed my own opinions and my own passions really for, for children's entertainment. And uh, it kind of all got kicked off because Nickelodeon asked me to um, write a song about a groundhog one day and um, I recorded it. Yeah, as they do. That's welcome to my life. And um, (laughs) I had written a record with Stephen Droz to the Flaming Lips in 2003. And uh, so he and I were, really good friends. And I asked him if he wanted to be involved and he said, yes. And I flew down to Oklahoma city and he and I wrote that song in about 10 minutes and it was about as much fun as we've ever had. <laughs> so and while we were writing that song, we said, we need to do a whole record. <laughs> yeah. And we did, but the thing is, you know, he's in a big giant rock band and, um, you know, he was raising his family out there. So we really only could record on, you know, every, 40th weekend when we had time <laughs> so it became the chinese democracy of kids records it took us I love forever that. i to love that <laughs> i love that description <laughs> i i feel like we should clarify this though i mean for people who who well most people haven't heard it yet because it hasn't come out but um it's classified technically as an album of children's songs or all ages songs but i mean you guys aren't singing old mcdonald and the wheels on the bus um I, i've listened to the album a few times and I really like it. Like aside from it being just like, I, I guess you could say, yes, they're, they're children's songs or you're targeting a younger audience, but um, it, it's actually just really good music. I mean, at, at what point in production though, does it get that all ages label? Do you realize like, yeah, we're doing a kid's album. Well, you know, Stephen and I, in talking about it, you know, we were very, very interested in, the kind of kids' music with the overlap. There is a Venn diagram, you know, and, and there, there is an enormous amount of overlap. I don't think the things that make music great for adults are that different than the things that make music great, the things that can make music great for children. Um, and he and I are, bo- have a, are both very interested in music that could be either, but is definitely both. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of it out there. There's, um, you know, one of the things he and I would always point to was Vince Guaraldi's music, which is incredibly sophisticated, beautiful jazz music that I grew up on listening to as a child, which was and is still as beautiful to me now as it was then. I don't know an adult who doesn't love that music, Mm -hmm. you know, and um, I also don't know a kid who doesn't love the immigrant song by Led Zeppelin, (laughs) you know, so it it doesn't have to sound like we think 
children's music should sound. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't believe that it does. You know? Yeah. And well, we, when we were, when we were recording it, you know, our criteria was, does this move me? Mm-hmm. Does this make me smile? Does this inspire me? And if it did affect us um, in those ways, and it was still a kid song, then we said, cool. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that definitely comes across. I mean, you listen to the lyrics of the songs, and some of them obviously sound like you wrote them with with kids in mind and that you were making this kid's record. But um, the entire thing, when you take it as a whole, it's very ambitious. And you're definitely, I think the two of you are reaching for something that's, I guess more artistic would be the right word than most kids' albums, you know, strive for. You know, the word we use is expressive. There you, you know, go. Um, I, I I think that too often, and this is this doesn't just pertain to children's music, but in children's entertainment, I think we tend to give them, yay, yeah, and we tend to give them, ah, and those things are cool, you know, but. Uh, I've met a lot of kids and some of them are really angry and some of them are really sad and some of them are incredibly inspired and they're, they're very emotionally, emotionally rich people. And I didn't see any reason not to, um, not to sing to that, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You've got some songs on the album, uh, some of the different couple of names. One is a fact is a gift that you give your brain and okay. Toilet bowl. <laughs> How cha- yeah. <laughs> how challenging is it for you to put yourself in the appropriate headspace to write a song like that? Zero challenge. <laughs> I can. You are talking to the, uh, the to the person who who could probably write poop songs all day. You know, I mean, definitely as definitely not a challenge for this forty three year old man child to do. Um, what what's harder for me? Uh, was, you know, songs like The Unicorn and Princess Rainbow and and uh, the songs that were deliberately narrative and deliberately um, expressive, mm-hmm. you know. So those were more challenging, but more fun, too. It, it, it's funny in listening, well, not funny, but it's it's when listening to the album, there are, de- there's a definite, there's, I don't, I don't want to say divide, but there's a, you know, you've got, Songs like "Okay, Toilet Bowl" and poop songs, mm-hmm. um, but then there are other songs that are much deeper, and, and you're trying to talk to kids in a way that children's music usually doesn't. You know, I mean, you've got lyrics. And I'm going to quote your own lyrics to you here, but you've got lyrics like, "I know you think you just knocked me down. You better look again because I'm still standing, and I won't let you change who I am." I mean, that's pretty yeah. deep for a kid's song, you know. And then yeah. you know the next track or the track before, you've you've got your poo was once your food, you know? So, I mean, (laughs) and and I love that about this. I love that you're just, you know, you're running the entire spectrum back to back. Um, Mm. I I mean, so with that dichotomy and then, you know, the overarching legend of the unicorn that you're telling, are are you trying to alternately make kids laugh and blow their minds like at the same time? Well, those are all great. That's, that's a really great question. And um, yes, you know, I I still have music in my life, and I don't know if you do, but I have music that I listen to specifically to cry. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I have, you know, and I have music that I listen to when I want to run five miles. 
And those are, that's so valuable to me. Like those are such valuable experiences to me and and reliably valuable experiences to me. And it was like that when I was a child, I remember I used to listen to, um, my favorite record as a child was the soundtrack to Rocky and not just, not just the, uh, gonna fly now inspirational music, but I loved, I think it's called Philadelphia morning where Mm -hmm. it's just the sad dirge of like French horns and, and failure. <laughs> and it was so beautiful. I, as a, as like a six year old kid, I was super into that music. And so I don't see any reason not to, um, I think it's a form of respect really to, to, to write for that stuff as well. And the poop song and the other song that you mentioned are both songs about courage. Yeah. <laughs> so just because it's a song about pooping doesn't mean it's not deep. <laughs> said said Sigmund Freud, and uh, and the other song that you that you uh, singled out, um, uh, I know I won't let you change who I am. That's uh, that is a song about uh, my direct experience being bullied in first grade. Yeah. You know, so yeah, that one is pretty deep. At least it was to me. Knowing that now. Um... Is that song what you wished you had said, or was that your actual reaction? Oh, I mean, I definitely stood up to my bully, mm-hmm. um, but I don't think I did it as uh, as cool hand Luke as yeah. that song is. Um, I'm sure. I'm sure it was pretty awkward and terrible. <laughs> yeah, but that's. I mean, that's. It's still awesome that you in first grade had the courage to stand up. You know, I think a lot of kids don't have that courage. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, it was, I don't know if it's courage or just a profound uh, Napoleon complex, but you know, there was enough was enough. Yeah. And it really did work because that guy and I became friends by third grade. Excellent. You know, and I was also sort of asking for it. Like I, I went to school first grade dressed head to toe as Mork for Mork. <laughs> <laughs> Precisely with the suspenders, <laughs> with the thumbs up pin, and the khakis and the stripy shirt, which you know I guess predicted the rest of my life, and and, and the vest, and uh, and I was the first kid on the bus. I was the first stop, so I would take the back seat because that's clearly the cool seat. Right. And Brock, his name, my bully's name was Brock. Of course, it was awesome. Brock. <laughs> and he was the second kid on the bus, and there was another back seat available to him if he wanted it, but no, he had to have mine. And the, the injustice of that, just, I, I'm still not over it. <laughs> now I'm trying to picture any kid going to school dressed completely like Mark. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. You can't yeah. get more 70s, though, than Mark. I mean, that's like, that's well, I, like I he mean, defines a decade, right? It, it might have been retro, because well, how old are you in first grade? Like, Six or something. Yeah, yeah that's I was seventy-three. So yeah, it, it, I may have been running on reruns there. Oh, <laughs> I don't know. That is so. <laughs> so are are you guys going to tour with this album? I wish. I you know we really don't know what that would look like. I mean, <laughs> obviously the Flaming Lips are a huge giant, a huge giant rock band, and uh, when they tour, they do the whole world. So. And also, I'm playing virtually nothing on this record because I'm working with Stephen Droz, who's an absolute genius. So I, I don't know how we would. I know we'd love to. 
So um, who knows? Maybe we can work something out where, you know, when the lips do a festival and there's a kid stage, we we do something. Oh, that'd be awesome. But we are doing a show in Brooklyn on the 26th at Brooklyn Bowl for the launch of the record. Sweet. Are the tickets still available? Yep. Awesome. All right. We'll yeah, put, you can we'll buy put them a link on up Brooklyn to that. Bowl website. Yep. And I think you can also link to that. It's linked on my webpage, stephensteven.com. Awesome. You'll definitely do that. Um, a question that um, I'm sure you've thought about, but do you see yourself as a kid's musician? Or do you, is, there, is there not a difference between that and, quote unquote, real musician? You know, I really don't. And, and I, I never really saw myself as a children's entertainer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was never something I aspired to. It was just something I found myself privileged enough to be a part of. Um, and I think that that was part of why, if I was a compelling host on Blues Clues, I think that's why, was because I was always coming at it from a very different angle. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wasn't, you can definitely be this kind of kid show host and just be goofy and hey, how are you doing? And kids yeah. do respond to that in a reliably, you know, positive way, I suppose. But something in my soul said no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, was like, I, I refuse to do that. And I looked much more at like um, Grover and Fred Rogers and that kind of stuff. Yeah. So in doing a little bit of research uh, for this chat, I I was surprised, you're probably not surprised, but I was surprised to see, like, if you just pop your name into Google, most, if not all of the results for your name are either just debunking your death or discussing rumors about why you left those clues. That's got to get old after a while, right? Well, I guess it would. I really don't pay attention. (laughs) uh, I mean, um, yeah. no, I was going to say, I mean, even and e- even most of the reviews for this album refer to you as, quote, Steve from Blue's Clues. And there's often oh, no sure. there's often no last name. I mean, so how do you That's come okay. or how did you come to terms with the fact that people will probably always equate you with that show before anything else? Oh, uh, you know, I think it's great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm very proud of it. And I think it's sweet and I think it's wonderful and it just gets better and better for me. I mean, um, I think when I was doing it and I was a 23 year old man, I was like, okay, this is weird. Yeah. You know, this is strange. Why do I leap into the air in these pants <laughs> when the mail arrives? This is not the way I thought my life would go. <laughs> but, uh, but now that yeah, I guess I'm just so, so much older, I'm just not vain anymore. I just don't care about that. You know, it's just really cool. It's really cool to, to meet somebody like at a restaurant or a bar. Or I, I was just in Singapore. And I met uh, these tourists from Australia who were huge Blues Clues fans. And it was just so much fun, you know. Um, it's really an honor and a privilege to be not just a part of uh, a small part of culture, like pop culture or whatever, but to be – if if I am Grover to anyone in the world, that's awesome. Yeah. How – it's got to be overwhelming though, right? I, again, it probably would be if I thought about it a lot, but I, I tend, yeah, I tend to just not really, yeah, not really dwell. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, common sense 
if there is such a thing, probably would have would have seen you go in one of two different directions after you left the show. You, you either could have mm-hmm. parlayed that success into another role in another children's show, or you would have gone in the complete opposite direction and, and said, you know, like, screw all that kid-friendly stuff. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a serious artist, you know, and just gone in the mm-hmm. other direction, gone darker. You seem to take a third route, though. Like, you, you, you faded from the public eye a little bit and yeah. ultimately stayed in children's entertainment. How much oh, of that was intentional? Know, I mean, first of all, I, I don't I don't think any of that even actually happened. I mean, the story of my of my actual professional life was that I've always been a voiceover guy. Yeah. And I was a voiceover guy the entire time I was doing Blues Clues. It was really my main gig, you know? And uh when Blues Clues stopped, that's what I did for the next twenty years. Mm-hmm. You know. So it, it there was that consistency there. I left Blues Clues and then made a record with the Flaming Lips, but I didn't leave Blues Clues to do that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and to be honest, like after the show, after I left Blues Clues, it had actually opened many more doors than it had closed in terms of being an actor, but I was just burned out. Yeah. I really had nothing left. I mean, I was in every take of every shot, every day, on a blue screen, you know, <laughs> and... Uh, for what felt like 150 years. So I just needed to not be an entertainer for a while, you know? So correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like Blue's Clues was the anomaly. You know, that was the, you you had your career and then Blue's Clues came along and that was just something you did for a few years. And then when that went away, you just kept doing what you had been doing the entire time. Well, what's cool is when I first moved to New York, um, I was up for a role on Homicide like a recurring role in Homicide at the same time that I was up for this pilot for Nickelodeon. And uh, so one could not have been darker and the other one could not have been brighter. And uh, Blue's Clues, I mean, I thought Blue's Clues was so punk rock and weird. And it it had sort of this clown Samuel Beckett vibe to it that I just really thought was neat. I never thought it would go anywhere. I really didn't. I didn't think it would work. I thought it was too smart. Like, this idea of um, the degree to which they were pushing the interaction and the degree to which they were allowing for silence on television, all this cool stuff. Mm-hmm. I thought this is, you know, this is ballsy, but it's, there's no way. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then of course they, it aired and it just exploded. It's nuts. So you, you mentioned the pants. Have you kept, have yeah. you kept the striped shirts or the pleated pants for nostalgia's sake? Do you still have any? I have I have two shirts. Uh, I own the original thinking chair. I'm actually looking at it right now. It's in my studio here. <laughs> That's awesome. And uh, I've got I think I believe it's the very first notebook that they ever made. I've got the first three clues, and I've got a. I don't have the pants. The pants would never ever ever fit me anymore. <laughs> I, I look I look back at that show and I'm like, what was I doing? How how many miles per day was I running to be that skinny? Cause I'm not like a naturally skinny dude. I'm, I'm built much more like Gimli from Lord of the Rings. You know, that was like a, that was, that was extreme. I, I think I was very busy. I think working in every take of every shot every day. Yeah. That takes a toll. right? <laughs> yeah. So I think if you ever take this album on tour, though, you're going to have to have like a little, uh, like an exhibit in the corner with all this stuff, because that's what, you know, people are going to want to see that, like in between sets. (laughs) 
Oh, what? You mean like, like bring the chair? Yeah, you? bring the chair, have a, like a little like behind <laughs> plexiglass, have the outfit. Oh, yeah. Well, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> so is the chair as comfortable as it looks? I have to ask. Um, not if you sit in it like a normal chair. If you just kind of sit in it like that, it's kind of too deep and really weird. What yeah. you got to do is fling your legs over the side. And then it is, it's fantastic. It's, it's where I read actually most days. If I'm going to, if I got a book, I read there. That's amazing. It's got to take up a huge amount of space though. It's big. Yeah. It's It's big. It kind of has its own dedicated space here. (laughs) It's the room, its own dedicated room. You mentioned the blue screen. Um, That, that show, I think more than almost any other was just all blue screen. It was you and a screen, and that was pretty much it. You had to everything you were interacting with, except for the chair, was not really there. How long did that take to get used? Like, I don't know if it ever felt normal, but how long did that take to, to get used to? I mean, we never got used to it, and it was difficult, and it was um, confusing, and not just for me, but also for the directors and for anyone who was really kind of doing it. But by like the third season, we were kind of ninja about the whole thing. Yeah. And uh, the stuff that seems really hard was often not very hard. It was the the, um, the very simple things that just became very tedious. Like, you know, see if you moved your face 0.4 inches to the left when you said that line, which means you just knocked the salt shaker off the table and we have to start again. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so uh, sometimes things were, were just really hard. Yeah. But, uh, but you had to keep that energy level up the entire time. Yeah, that was always tough. You know, it was always tough. There were times where I just wanted to lay down. Um, yeah, but I mean, actually, all of those technical things, that doesn't form my memory of Blue's Clues. I mean, what I remember, what the show was always about to me, what I saw as my job, mm-hmm. was cultivating the relationship to the camera. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and being as specific as I possibly could and, um, and uh, making that a viable, real relationship and making it so the kids actually think that I heard what they said. Yeah. Uh, that was always the challenge for me. And as an actor, as a young actor, like I was really into that, really into seeing how far we can take that, you know? Yeah. We have a, a question from one of our listeners that was just too good not to ask. Um, yeah. How did Mr. Salt and Mrs. Pepper make paprika? What happened there? Well, I don't feel like, I don't, I think that everyone knows the answer to that. I mean, <laughs> you know. I'm just curious how paprika came out of it. explains itself, right? <laughs> oh, I see. How does salt plus pepper eat Yeah, I'm not asking for the actual logistics. I mean, I think we can. Oh, I thought it, how does salt and pepper like, come together to make paprika? I thought you were asking like a condiment uh, biology question. <laughs> really uncomfortable answer. I don't know why paprika. I thought it was cute. Although I thought, I remember when we were talking about their kid, their kid should be named Herb, which I thought would have been Oh, hilarious. that would have been very cute. Yeah. <laughs> but there was paprika, and then I believe there was cinnamon after that. So okay. I don't really know how that works, how the, how the alchemy works. Yeah. The biology is pretty clear, but the alchemy is still a mystery. <laughs> <laughs> so we read recently that as of a few years ago, you did a Make-A-Wish event in character as Steve from Blue's Clues. Was that was that pretty wild for you? 
Not for me, but I think it really freaked that guy's dad out. <laughs> no, that was that was great fun. That was great fun. Anytime. I mean, I can't do it anymore because I'm bald. Uh, but anytime that I could just like, you know, duck into the phone booth and come out as Steve from Blues Clues and, and make some kids day. That was just always, always awesome. Wonderful. You know. And the kids were at the party. The kids were like, "Oh, cool! It's Steve. Great!" Yeah. Like they they didn't they didn't stop to think, "Oh, how strange! This actor probably lives in New York, and now he's in New Jersey. Why is he here at my birthday party?" They were just <laughs> like, "Clearly, Steve skidooed out of the television, and now he's here." Yeah, and that's wonderful for us. It's a whole different reality for kids, isn't it? It's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you've said a couple times here that you just you try not to think about. You know, when back then when you're on the show and even now, you try not to think about, um, you know, the role that you've played or the continuing importance. But, I mean, you stopped making the show 15 years ago. I mean, you're you're oh, here today God, talking yeah. to us about it. You do Make-A-Wish a couple of years ago. I mean, there are still millions of kids watching and loving this show, and it's a huge part of their lives. I, I, if that's true, then I don't know what to say. I mean, um, I guess it is still on Amazon. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think, was there a show that I watched as a little kid that was 15 years old? And I suppose there was, you know, Fred Rogers and yeah. Sesame Street. And all Mr. That Rogers stuff. and Sesame Street had been on longer than that. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And it's, a, it's, a, it's, you know, it feels great to me, but it's a real credit to, uh, Angela Santamaro who created the show and, uh, and Tracy Johnson who drew the show and you know it's it's a real testament to to the really profound work that they did yeah um i'm curious to get your opinion on this we don't we don't we don't like to get political on the show but recently it's been hard not to but i'm wondering we're not going to get too political but i'm wondering what you think art is going to look like for the next four years? I mean, are you in the Amanda Palmer school of thought that President Trump is going to have, you know, usher in a new golden age for punk rock and resistance art? Or are you a little bit more realistic? Well, I mean, you know, you couldn't have Austin if you didn't have the rest of Texas, right? So, you know, I I, I do think that people will, yeah, I think this is the point. I think this is why art is. And I think that, um, I think it will certainly foment and inspire and um, cause an awful lot of reactions. <laughs> it's hard not to react. It is. It is. I think it's going to take a minute though. I think, I think a lot of really brilliant, well-meaning, deep thinking people are just going, what? <laughs> <laughs> it hasn't really settled in it, yet. Yeah. I think there's a WTF moment that's happening. That's going to take a second. You know, yeah. but I do. Yeah, I do think conditions like this, uh, which are pretty unprecedented, mm. uh, certainly in certainly in my lifetime, I think conditions like this where there's been obvious um, indications that, uh, you know, expression will be repressed. You know, I mean, I, I think that uh, I think there will certainly be an interesting reaction to that. Yeah. Something I loved when we were when we were looking around was your tweet that you uh, did on December nineteenth. Maybe Trump is visited by ghosts of Prince Bowie and Leonard Cohen on Christmas Eve, and everything will be cool after that. 
<laughs> I like that. <laughs> Isn't that fun to think of that? Yeah. Him sitting in Trump Tower in, in like a nightgown with one of those Victorian night hats and like a candle eating oatmeal. <laughs> Which is, I'm sure, how yeah. he sleeps. Yeah, right. And then like, and then Bowie shows up and he's like, Mr. Trump, <laughs> seriously, allow me to show you the world. And then he like, you know, flies around with David Bowie. It'd be just so amazing. There's your art right there, man. You got to write that or sing about that. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, that's good, actually. It's really good. Don't down. don't give that one away for free. <laughs> There's the next three song trilogy. <laughs> so this, you, you said this, um, this has taken you a long time uh, for everywhere. It's been, it's taken you guys a long time to put together. Are, are you thinking down the road? Is there another one in you? Or are you just sort of going to let this one ride for a little while? Well, we're going to see what happens. I mean, I would love to do another one. Stephen and I have already talked about doing another one. Um, there's a <laughs> there's a little thing we did on the record, which is a little piece of radio theater, which I've, I've always wanted to do radio theater. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to have a Bert and Ernie album that was just all kind of radio theater, and I loved that as a kid. So we did this thing where a giant comes over and like helps us write a song. I love that part. And yeah, and we were thinking, how great would it be to do a whole like holiday album like that? You know, sort of, sort of like when David Bowie visits Bing Crosby. You know. Yeah. <laughs> hey guys, happy holidays. <laughs> oh, hey, hey Rick, cool. Hey. <laughs> There's a sense on the record that we're not always. We like Rick, but you know, it's kind of a, it's kind of a bummer. There's always something bad that happens when he shows up. Yeah. <laughs> I love when the uh, when he leaves and you guys are just like oof. You know, it's just like, oh man, <laughs> it's just like that exhalation when he finally leaves. <laughs> yeah, that was really, really fun to do. I think the way we did it is uh, we, Stephen and I just recorded our parts together and then I did the giant in the next take. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> in, in, the, in the gaps, you know. <laughs> uh, see, there you go. There's your, your voiceover gig coming to work. Yeah, <laughs> and that's a voice I used to do on Blues Clues all the time. Yep. I used to do a giant voice on Blues Clues all the time, so you used used it for that. Where uh, where would you be today if Blues Clues had never happened for you? Oh, I'm sure I'd be a waiter. <laughs> uh, no, I think I. You know what? I think I still would have had the voiceover career because I was doing the voiceover thing before Blues Clues. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know if I'd be in New York. I really don't. New York's not New York, and I don't really get along so much. Really? But uh, yeah, you'd be. Sorry. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I'd be. Boy, it's weird to think about. <laughs> Steve, thank you so much. This is it's yeah, been an absolute pleasure. I wish we had more time with you, but this has just been a lot of fun. And yeah, for everywhere. Uh, we're going to link to the uh, release uh, the release date up there in Brooklyn and we'll link to the album so people can buy it. What day does it go on sale? February 27th, I think. 27th, that sounds about right. Somewhere yeah. around there. We'll link to it so people yeah. can grab it. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. All right. Thanks, guys. I think we should start introducing new segments into our show. We Uh-oh. could do mail Going time. Crazy. We could do mail time and get excited. Yes. <laughs> or you could leave. So we me- have to get like 
ridiculously excited about it. Yes, and I, I was thinking from now on we won't actually put in the title who we're interviewing, but we'll leave clues for people. And we'll, they'll have to figure them out. <laughs> Never really say. Don't even don't even introduce the person. Just start talking to them and Just see if start they can talking. figure it out. Need some clues throughout, and then at the very end, be like, "All right, did you solve figure the mystery, out the kids? Did you solve the mystery?" <laughs> no, that was a fun interview. I really enjoyed yeah. it. I did too. That was a, that was fun. That was really fun. And, and disclaimer, um, I've been trying to get him on the show for a long time, a long time. So, and and the the way that this eventually happened was completely serendipitous. Like it was. It was. It came through somebody else who represented him, and I didn't realize that she represented him because I was. In t- I was. We had made contact for for a different guest, um, and so it was complete serendipity that he found his way to us because I was trying to get him on the show and for a long time, and it never worked out. So I'm glad this finally did happen. <laughs> trying to get somebody else. Wait, wait a second. You can get me, Steve. We want Steve. <laughs> Forget that other person. Forget that Jackie guy. Burns. Yeah. <laughs> No, and and I think I'm. Ho- I really hope you guys enjoy this. I know I know a lot of people. When I put up on my Facebook who we're interviewing, some people get a reaction and some people don't. <laughs> I mean, everyone gets a reaction, but some people get a bigger one than others. And Steve was one where everyone was kind of you know they had a question or they wanted to know something. So I really hope you enjoyed it. And you know, it's always awesome to interview people from you know that people remember nostalgically. Absolutely, and he's doing still doing awesome things. Which, by the way, get his album. I don't even think we said that. Get his album. <laughs> we did say it during the interview. Okay. Get his album. I will. You know, it's if good. anybody's still listening at this point, we will yeah. link to the album, no, and we will listening. link to that um, the CD release party. Uh, if you yep. want to go, if you're in the Brooklyn area. Yeah. Perks of the job. We got to listen to it. Yes. <laughs> achievement unlocked all right you can follow us on twitter at the gbb podcast facebook.com slash the gbb podcast and i am justin at 140 justin c i'm jamie at the Roarbots. and have a great week we'll see you next time take care (laughs) This podcast has been a production of the Geek Dad Podcast Network. If you've enjoyed this content, please consider supporting us at patreon.com slash geekdad.